This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading this morning at verse 8 and read through verse 20. Some of these verses have already been quoted this morning. Pastor Brown referred to them. And, uh, and if my information is correct, uh, Brother Radice tonight is also going to be looking at some verses in this passage from a little different perspective than what I'll cover them today. I trust that you've had a, a wonderful Christmas with your family. Uh, some of you have family members with you today, as we do. Praise God for that. And uh, many of you spent yesterday, perhaps, with your family, enjoying wonderful dinner and wonderful fellowship together. And more than anything else, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful this time of year when we can just focus on the Lord and uh, what Christmas is all about? While the world yesterday was focused on football games, and we watched a football game, nothing wrong with that, uh, but most people, that's their life at uh, this time of year. Santa Claus, I, I got a little upset Wednesday night. Davis Long completely shattered my faith in Santa Claus. I'm trying to get over that. I'm working on it, Brother Long. And uh, hopefully before the message is over today, maybe I'll get some things together and, and I'll love you again, okay? Amen. That was astounding, wasn't it? If you were here on Wednesday night, that was absolutely astounding. I was greatly blessed by that. Not just, not, not just that, but the whole message. Your whole message Wednesday night was excellent. And it spoke to my heart. And uh, we, I was up in the live stream room Wednesday night, and the three of us up there, we were up there howling. It was kind of a knee slapper in a way. We weren't slapping knees, we were slapping each other. But <laughs> we enjoyed that. It was very good. Looking forward to your message tonight, Brother Radice. Uh, you told me what you were preaching on. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a real blessing. And I know you folks will be back tonight to hear that message. It'll, it'll touch your heart, believe me. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin reading verse 8. I'd like to ask you to stand with me, please, as we read the Word of God. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Our Father, our hearts are filled with joy and praise to your name today for your kindness, your grace, your marvelous work in sending to us your only Son, only begotten Son, came in a manger, humbled himself, but then came from there to the cross and there hung in shame and agony before all humanity, shedding his blood on the cross for the remission of our sins. And Lord, we're so glad today that all of that took place. Were it not for that, Lord, we would be in hell today. Thank you, God, for the occasion that brings us together this morning. May the Spirit of God be our preacher. May our hearts be open, our ears be attentive. And we pray, God, that you would move upon our hearts the things that you would have us to know to do and, and do the things that you would have us to do, we ask in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Have you, under one, have you ever wondered why God chose the shepherds uh, to first receive this announcement of the coming Savior? It's kind of an interesting thing to me, the birth of the Messiah. You know, shepherds were despised in Judea, by, especially by the religious leaders of that day. Uh, they weren't very ceremonially clean. And they couldn't keep the law very well. Their duties with the sheep uh, made them unceremonially unclean. And, um, and so they were not, they were not a, a group of people that anyone would take particular interest in of any spiritual, in any spiritual way. Their flocks made too many demands upon them, and so the shepherds were looked down upon as common people in that day. But first of all, God recognized them for their dedication. They were dedicated people. And then secondly, God revealed his secret to those shepherds because of their occupation. As you know, the part of the Jewish temple worship was to offer sacrificial animals, unblemished lamb every morning and every night in order to keep the constant supply of unblemished lambs available, the temple rabbis had their own flock of sheep in a pasture not so far apart away. And then, how wonderful to think that these men were the first to hear of the Lamb of God. You think about that for a moment. 
who takes away, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And then thirdly, God selected these shepherds because of their expectation. We read here in this passage that after the angels announced to them, they said to each other, let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they went seeking and they were, not a, they were not disappointed in what they found. Wonderful thing they found. In fact, there's three, three things of this discovery that we should note this morning. The first is this. They analyzed what they discovered, an event of tremendous significance that had just, take, had just taken place, an angelic announcement in a blaze of glory had broken the silence of the night. stricken with fear, and yet with wonder those shepherds heard these words, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings, the great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And this news from heaven was so astounding and held such significant consequences that they were compelled to go into Bethlehem and investigate what the angels had said to them. They were serious, serious about their investigation. In fact, so serious, in verse 15 it says, they said, let us now go and see this thing. And at this point, nothing else really mattered to them, even the care of their sheep became secondary. They must go at once and see the thing that the Lord had revealed to them. The determination of these shepherds should convict some of us. Nearly 2,000 years have passed now since, since they heard and since then, and yet many of us fail to be serious about what we've discovered about Jesus Christ. We fail to be serious about it. Christians come, Christmas comes year after year, but many ignore the significant facts about this holy occasion. The fact that God invaded history and became a man for the purpose of redeeming sinners from their sin, it's ignored. The fact that Jesus died so that men might live, that too is ignored. The fact that salvation from sin depends upon the acceptance of Jesus Christ as personal Savior fails somehow to compel us to seriously investigate who he is and why he came down from heaven. Two young boys were in a store at Christmas time. One of them picked up a greeting card and noticed the baby Jesus was pictured on it. He nudged his friend and he said, imagine that. They're even trying to drag religion into Christmas now. You know, it's a sad thing. We smile at that. And yet, this attitude is as tragic as it is true. The attitude is not so much as that of hostility to the true meaning of Christmas, though hostility toward Christ and toward Christmas is becoming more of a factor. But the more prominent attitude is indifference. 
I should say that probably some of us sitting in this auditorium today are a little too indifferent to the facts of Christmas. The church and the gospel message, the true meaning of Christmas, and all, all of it is irrelevant and meaningless to many in our society today, but not to the shepherds. They were serious about their pursuit of the truth. They say, we shall go now and investigate this. And uh, so they were serious, but not only were they serious, they were swift in their pursuit. The Bible tells us that they came with haste. To them, this was, a, this was an urgent matter, and they dare not delay. Uh, they were compelled to check out what the angels had announced to them. This sense of urgency concerning God's way of salvation revealed in Christ permeates the entire Bible. Read it. And you'll see that over and over again, there's such an urgent message there. There's such an urgency about coming to Christ. Even the Apostle Paul, in quoting from the Old Testament and making the New Testament application, makes it an urgent matter. He said this to the Corinthians. He says, now, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Makes it urgent, doesn't it? We can't afford to be casual with God. That would be arrogant, presumptuous. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will add all the other things of life to us if we'll do that. You must come with all seriousness and haste to the cross, not the manger, to the cross. It is there where we find a fountain that's filled with a transforming blood, the cleansing blood that takes away the sins of sinners. And so they analyzed their discovery and what they found. They were, they were so excited about it that secondly, they were amazed at what they discovered. Not only did they analyze it, but they, they stood in amazement before God and before the Son of God in what they had discovered there in Bethlehem. Look at what these shepherds found as they arrived there in Bethlehem. Verse 16 says, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. It was just as it was told them. Isn't that amazing? Just as it was told them. They found the miracle of the Savior's birth when they found Mary. The testimony of Mary reveals the miracle of our Savior's birth. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had never known a man. In uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and in verse 35, we're told there that the angel Gabriel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and therefore that holy thing which shall be born in thee shall be called the Son of God. Not just the Son, the Son of God. The process of natural birth brought Jesus into this world of sin. But the miracle of the supernatural conception preserved him from the inheritance of sin. You may not realize this, but we learn from the medical field that uh, blood is supplied from the, the contribution of the man in the process of natural birth. And we read in the Bible that sin is passed through the bloodline. That's the reason why Mary 
Mary's birth was her baby was conceived by the Spirit of God. It wasn't the blood of man that coursed through our Savior's veins. It was the blood of God, pure blood. And that's the reason why the Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. If there had been one taint of man's sin that sneaked in to that birth, the Savior himself would have needed a Savior. But he was pure. He was a son of God. And that's the miracle of the Savior's birth. The whole thing is the miracle of the Savior's birth. Nowhere, by the way, are we ever instructed in the Bible to worship Mary. She was only the means through which the transcendent God became flesh. And that's the significance in which this story is told to us. Dr. Long covered that in his message on Wednesday night very clearly. I thank God for that. Without the virgin birth, we would have no Savior. If he had brought one ounce of sin from Adam's race, there would be no salvation today. There would be no means of us enjoying the pleasure and the gift of, of God's eternal life through salvation in Jesus Christ. And so they found the miracle of the Savior's birth in the message of Mary. But then secondly, they found the message of the Savior's birth when they found Joseph. The testimony of Joseph reveals the message of the Savior's birth. The angel had appeared to Joseph back in the, in the Gospel of Matthew as, we, we, uh, as we've read during this Christmas season. He appeared to Joseph and said this, Fear not, take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her, her is of the Holy Ghost, and he shall be bring forth a son, or she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. The very name of Jesus means he saves. You see, there's even a significance to the name that God gave to his son, Jesus. Now, there were other Jews that were named Jesus. In fact, today we often hear of, of uh, people who are named Jesus, particularly in the Hispanic world. But that name means salvation. He, sa he saves. And he shall be called, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. As the shepherds heard those words from Joseph's lips, they learned that the Savior was born to set sinners free from their sin. Whatever else you may think about Christmas, the thought of Christ, the Savior, should have the preeminence. Christ didn't come into this world simply to reform society or to heal the sick or to raise the dead, as we read so frequently throughout the Gospels. That wasn't the reason he came. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that's the real message of Christmas. But also, these shepherds, they found the majesty of the Savior's birth when they found the babe. The testimony of the baby reveals the majesty of God in the Savior's birth. The almighty, infinite God condescended to an, incident, an, an, an uh, innocent infant child 
Only God could do that. Man aspires to greatness, but God condescends to the likeness of men. This is the revelation of the majesty of Almighty God. Look at these words again in verse 12. Is a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. In the babe there was revealed the majesty of his identity as the God-man. In the swaddling clothes there was the revelation of his majesty as his simplicity. And in the manger there is a revelation of his majesty <clears throat> in his humanity. Paul the apostle brings all of that together in what he writes to the church at Philippi. He said, but Christ made himself of no reputation. Christ didn't exalt himself. When he came as a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, that was not Christ's exaltation. That comes later on. That was his humanity. That was his humility. And so he made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, in the baby, even in the life of Jesus, all through his earthly ministry up until the cross, we don't see his exaltation at all. We just see him as a humble servant. That's what he was, as a humble servant. He's exalted today at the, Savior, at the Father's right hand, but, but during that period of time, there was no exaltation of the Savior. Just a humble existence. And this is the majesty of the Savior's birth. Does this not make you want to worship and adore Almighty God? The shepherds did. They knelt at the manger and accepted their findings. They believed all that they had been, had been announced to them by God the Father through the angel. J. Sidlow Baxter, great Bible teacher of the past, wrote this. He said, in the super miracle of the incarnation, our very creator, preserver, judge, becomes our kinsman, sin bearer, redeemer. Of all miracles and mysteries, this is the most staggering. God became a man through Jesus Christ that we may become like him. Think about that a minute. We're made in his image. I'll never be God, but I can become more and more like him in holiness. I can grow in more and more grace as you can. And God sent his son as a servant, humbled himself, so that you and I can become more like him and be obedient to God and and grow in holiness. True story is told of the missionary Joseph Damon, who was in the 19th century, ministered to people with leprosy in the island of Maloke in Hawaii. It said, those suffering grew to love Damon, 
and revered the sacrificial life that he lived out before them. One morning before Damon was to lead them in daily worship, he was pouring hot water over into a cup when the water swirled out and fell on one of his bare feet. It took him a moment to realize that, that he had not felt any sensation and gripped by the sudden fear of what this could mean, he poured a, more hot water in the same spot. No feeling whatsoever. Damon immediately knew what had happened. And as he walked tearfully to deliver his sermon, no one at first noticed the difference in his opening line. He normally began every sermon with, my fellow believers, but this morning he began with my fellow lepers. In a greater measure, Jesus came into this world knowing what it would cost him. He bore in his poor being the marks of evil that we might be made pure. For this I came into the world, he said. Do you see it? This is the majesty of his birth. And we must not overlook it. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh as a, as a baby, that sinners might be holy like him. Those shepherds were amazed at what they had discovered. Not only were they, did they analyze the message, and they were amazed by the message, but then thirdly, they announced what they had discovered. They were not timid about it. They told about it. When you look carefully into the language of the angels' announcements, you learn that the shepherds accepted it as a special message to their hearts. They said to each other, let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known to us. They were actually saying, let's investigate this word which the Lord hath revealed to us. The Bible clearly states that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Accepting what they found, they began to announce the faith that they placed in Christ as they knelt before his presence. The evidence that a person has a real faith in Jesus Christ is that he cannot keep it to himself. There is the prompting of the Holy Spirit within them that moves them to share it with others. And this is what the shepherds did. Look, if you will, again at verses 17 and 18. For here in these verses, we found that they announced their faith publicly. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. They announced it abroad. That word wondered in verse 18 is the, is the Greek word thumazid. It means to marvel at. This does not indicate that the people who heard the message of the shepherds wondered if it was true. It means they marveled at its truth. This was the marvelous news to them. It was great news, the greatest news that they had ever heard. It was such an outstanding report 
that one commentator puts it like this. These men at the bottom of the social scale of Israel were chosen as the first preachers of the newborn king. Isn't that something? As they made known their story, the news spread from Bethlehem to Judea and then unto the other most parts of the earth. And indeed, 2,000 years later, we find ourselves still believing and marveling at this report. The evidence that a person has truly accepted the incarnate Christ as a savior is that he's willingly to unashamed, be unashamed to declare his faith to everybody. This was the characteristic of the early church, of the early Christians, the early believers, that in less than a generation, the whole population of the, uh, the whole populated world at that time heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we as vocal as those shepherds were when it comes to witnessing our faith? Are you vocal about it? You tell people about it? You tell people about how you got saved and how God released you from the penalty of sin and the horrors of hell? Are you vocal about it? They announced it, and we certainly should. We certainly should. This was so characteristic of those believers. I think we should learn the lesson of a TV viewer, the same lesson he learned when he called the station to protest the cancelization of his favorite program. The secretary on the other end of the line asked, did you ever let us know how well you liked it? And he answered with a deep sigh. He says, no, but I obviously should have. And you know, this is an example of how it's even more important for us to make our faith in Jesus Christ a matter of public information. Sometimes we think people will just know it, maybe by the lifestyle that we live, and certainly there's some truth in that. But I can tell you that they'll, they'll know it better if we vocalize it, if we mention it, if we announce it to the public and make it known. But not only did they announce their faith publicly, but we find also in verse 20 that they announced their faith with praise. Look at what 20 says, verse 20 says. It says, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen. They had some joy in their heart. They were praising God and glorifying God in their hearts. There's nothing, there's nothing timid about their testimony. They glorified and praised God and testified of him. A spirit of praise was one of the distinguishing marks of the early Christians. And we read that they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, eating their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And as a result, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I wonder if that's the reason why we don't see a lot of people today flocking to the church. They don't see any joy in our testimony. There's something contagious about their lack of timidity 
people could not resist the sincerity with which they spoke their faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is one of the missing features in our Christian witness today. People are unimpressed because they see little joy in our testimony. The fact too often I think our testimony comes across as insincere. There's no joy there. Why? After all, the message of Christmas is the gospel of great joy which will be to all people. A joyous spirit is always contagious. Christ came to bring joy. He said this, he said, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And so the announcement of our faith should be public and it should be with praise. Cultivate some joy in your life. Smile. Smile when you sing the praises of God. You know, one of the things that we notice up there in the live stream room and the people that are watching home on their TVs and computers is the fact that sometimes the people up here in the choir who are on camera all the time. Did you hear that, folks? You folks in the choir are on camera all the time. It'd be much nicer if the people at home would see this instead of this. Believe me, they see some of that. Hear me, choir members. I've asked Brother Ned a couple times to address the choir about this, so <clears throat> Brother Ned's not here today, and I don't have to ask him, so I have the opportunity. I've got a captive audience here this morning. <laughs> when you're in the choir, smile. Act like you're saved. Look like you're saved. Put a little joy in your heart. When you sing those songs of praise, put a little spring in it, okay? You know, I'm a, I'm a Yankee. That means I come from up north, New Jersey. And up there, everybody's very staid, you know, and <clears throat> dignified, polite. When you get north of Virginia, people are like that. And when I came down south, I was shocked, you know, at the, at the, uh, uh, the smiles and the happiness and the joy that people express in church. I don't even mind once in a while somebody does this. I used to. It used to bother me when I saw somebody like that. I got to tell you this story. Some of you were here when it happened. Dr. Jim Earls was sitting right down here about five, six, seven rows back. And you know what he used to do? His mule used to get loose. Remember that? And uh, this was back when I was pastoring here. And uh, one Sunday, the choir just did an exceptional song. And when the choir finished, he took that old cane, he stood up and said, Glory to God! And everybody in the church went, They hadn't quite gotten used to that yet. But it would happen every once in a while, and after a while, everybody got a little used to it. But we had a visitor with us that Sunday. 
I won't mention his name. He may be even looking, watching today, and I don't think he'll mind me telling this, but he was not saved. He was a rather dignified, he was a doctor, actually. He sat over here about where Kevin was sitting, actually. And, uh, and he went like this when that happened. So after the service, I went down to greet him. I hadn't met him yet. I knew he was coming because somebody in the church told me that they were bringing him to the service. So I went down and I shook his hand. I said, Dr. So-and-so, so good to have you here today. He crossed his arms like this and took two steps back. said, a little different than I'm used to. I said, uh-oh. Inside, I said, uh-oh. But then he dropped his arms and he took two steps forward and said, but I think I need to get in on it. <laughs> yeah. A few weeks later, Dr. Lepresti was preaching and he got saved. He walked out of that pew and came to the altar and got saved. It doesn't hurt to have a little joy and show some praise and joy in your heart. You know, I kind of like, I kind of enjoy that now. I know, I know some of it gets a little phony, and uh, but uh, but I think we need to show the joy that that Jesus Christ came to put in our hearts. What a wonderful story this is! The astounding discovery of the shepherds has led us to analyze the facts and stand amazed at what we find and go about announcing our faith in Christ with joy in our hearts and praise upon our lips. Only when our personal Lord and Savior is in our hearts can we turn to the outside world and make known abroad the things that concern the Holy Child, God's Son, the Savior of sinners, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and our discovery of him equals that of the amazing discovery of these shepherds. Their iniquity led them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And you know that's God's desire for you today. There may be someone who's come to this service this morning that, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're a visitor. You might be a member of this church. And realize in your heart you never really have come to the Savior and been born again, you know. I've seen people that have been church members for years, even, even deacons and so on, who after a period of time realize that they never really had a personal faith in Jesus Christ. If you're in this service today and you've never accepted him as your savior, I give you an invitation today to come to him. He came to this earth as a baby, as a servant, a humble servant, humbled himself, went to the cross for you, for me. And if you've never come to him in faith and accepted what he did on that cross, you can't go to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. And you can't get there without him. Oh, I know that that sounds very narrow-minded. It is. It's as narrow as the scriptures. And you can't get much narrower than that, can you? 
is just as narrow as this book tells us. It's only through Christ that you can get to heaven. You can't go by your good works. They don't work. God doesn't accept them. You know, those sheep that those shepherds were keeping out there in that flock, they were temple sheep. And, and, uh, and those sheep were offered as sacrifices every morning and every night. They were the best sheep available. Uh, the shepherds took good care of them so that they could be as, as pure and as spotless as possible to be offered at the temple. But you know the blood of bulls and goats and sheep never saved anybody? It didn't save those Old Testament people. Even though God prescribed that as a sacrifice and as a means for their salvation. But it was only as those sheep and their shed blood there in the temple pictured as it pictured what Christ did on the cross that offered salvation to anybody. And anybody that's ever been saved, whether during the Old Testament period, New Testament period, or whatever period, even in the tribulation period, there are going to be people saved during the tribulation. We read that in the book of Revelation. But everybody that comes to Christ comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, not of the blood of bulls and goats. And I invite you this morning as we conclude this service that if you've never accepted that sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Savior who came as a servant to die for you and shed his precious blood for you, if you've never done that, as we sing a song of invitation this morning, I want to ask you to leave your seat and come down here and let one of our staff men or, or ladies, if you're a lady, take a Bible and take you to a private place and sit down quietly with you and show you from the Bible how you can know without any doubt that you're on your way to heaven. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we give you thanks this morning for the precious time together today. I thank you, God, for the message of salvation, the real message of Christmas. And God, I pray this morning that if there's somebody here in this service without Christ, that they would come to full knowledge of him today, placing their faith and their trust in his shed blood. Help us as believers this morning. God, uh, this, uh, this room is filled with, with saved people as well, more saved than, than not. And I pray, God, that you would help each of us, Lord, to learn how to be joyful over our salvation, how to grow holy in the image of God, how to be faithful to the one who came in such a humble surrounding, came to die for our sins. I pray you'll work in our hearts this morning. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 Four eight eight three two four one.
we encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.